Welcome to Life Science Marketing Radio, the podcast where marketing leaders inside and outside the sciences share their creative ideas and practical approaches to increasing your marketing ROI. Here's your host, Chris Connor. Hello, my friends. Today, we're going to talk about a different kind of marketing, and that is how do you use what we all know about marketing to attract high performers to your marketing team or any other job, really? We all know it's important to stand out when marketing our products and services, but most job descriptions sound very much the same. Harrison Wright is going to tell us how to change that and what kind of a difference it makes in the applicants you attract. First, I've got an indirect plug for our sponsor. The Association of Commercial Professionals in the Life Sciences is also sponsoring a Life Science Marketing Summit which happens to be hosted by Harrison on September 7th and 8th. You'll be able to hear from nine well-known life science marketing experts over a two-day period without leaving your office. You'll hear from Carlton Hoyt of BioBM, Hamid Ganadan of the Linus Group. He's got a new book out. Andy Bertera of New England Biolabs. Nick Oswald of Bite Size Bio, Olga Torres from Averica Discovery, Guy Page from Pacific Biomarketing, and David Chapin from Forma Life Science Marketing, as well as Harrison and myself. And because these are webinars, you'll have the opportunity to ask questions of some of the guests you've heard on this podcast. And if you attend, you'll get an opportunity to register for the ACPLS annual meeting at a 10% discount. Go to affinitybiotechnology.com and click on the button at the top of the page. Let's get on with it, shall we? My guest today is Harrison Wright, the founder of Affinity Biotechnology, where he helps life science companies build world-class sales and marketing teams. Harrison, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Chris, and thanks for having me today. It's uh, it's really good to be here. Oh, my pleasure. I think this is going to be really helpful for everybody. Uh, so today we're going to talk about a marketing method to attract better marketers to your team, which I think is interesting. And um, you know, I I've had this challenge as well, creating job descriptions that get exactly <coughs> the people you want. So Harrison, tell me about the problem we're trying to solve. What is the challenge we need to overcome when we're looking to attract? top talent? You know, the, the problem takes a, a lot of forms, Chris, but the really it all comes down to differentiation or more, more accurately, the lack of differentiation. And it manifests in, in various ways. And you, you've no doubt seen this yourself in the past, but at larger brand name companies, it tends to result in uh, leaders getting a, a, a huge influx of applications for their jobs, most of which either aren't relevant or they aren't good enough, they aren't a fit, or actually there's just so much noise there that it's difficult to tell who is and isn't a fit because all you've got to go on is a, a one out of 300 resumes sometimes. Uh, and at small companies, it often tends to be the case that they just get no interest at all or, or you know, they get a little bit of interest, but it's, it's largely a wasted effort. So um, that's how it tends to manifest. And if we look at why this is the case, just going back in time a little bit, there was a time when uh, everyone was saying that the internet was going to change hiring, it was going to change recruiting, and you had monster.com and job site and, uh, and those sorts of job boards. And people said, wow, 
you know, we'll never struggle to find candidates ever again because they're all right here on, on this job board. It'll, it'll be Nirvana. And what actually happened was that all you got was loads and loads of noise because there's no barrier to entry to applying to a job anymore. All you have to do is say, oh, yeah, that looks interesting. Click. Um, and all the company has to do is go, oh, well, I'll just stick this out on here and, uh, you know, we'll see what happens. We'll have loads of candidates. Um, and that noise has created so many problems that you see, not just in the job description and application process, but for example, you know, when I was doing this years ago and LinkedIn was quite new, you found some people that were quick takers on LinkedIn and some people that didn't have a LinkedIn profile yet. And the people that had LinkedIn profiles were getting approached all the time. So they were very hard to get hold of. They would be more skeptical, wouldn't necessarily reply to your messages very often. But if you went to headhunt somebody who wasn't on LinkedIn, chances are it rarely ever happened to them. So they always were you know, very, very receptive to that cause. Wow, no, I've, I've been headhunted. That's amazing. But you know, the more somebody gets approached or the more noise there is um, when it comes to jobs, hiring, recruiting, the less receptive they are to that message because they've heard it all before. And so if we relate this back to job descriptions, what you see is you, you take any company's job description and largely they all look the same. It's a case of we need somebody with this many years of experience in this field to do this. And that this will usually be a long list of responsibilities that even if you sit and read it for five minutes, you can't actually necessarily figure out what the job is. Um, and then with some of them, you might have a little section on the end where they sell the company, which in many cases just we're a dynamic, forward-thinking organization who embraces this, that, and the other. Um, and so the problem is that, that lack of differentiation. Yeah. So how? why well, I have a question that just popped up, so I'll ask it. So. Do, do small companies get fewer applicants than larger companies? You, you kind of hinted at that. I'm not sure if if that's relevant or not, but I'm just curious. Like, Is there a, a challenge for smaller companies to get as many applicants as a more well-known company? Yeah, they do. Because, you know, if you look at a, a Thermo Fisher or a Covance or, or any company like that, lots of people will keep an eye on their jobs or apply to their jobs. But just because it's Thermo Fisher or Covance, uh, it doesn't necessarily mean that those applications are going to be good and relevant, but they, they get them. So with from a large company perspective, the, the differentiation challenge for them is to make sure that they're getting the right people interested Whereas for a small company, sometimes that's a challenge too. But a lot of the time, it's it's getting people to apply at all. Right. And this this same method we're going to talk about, a larger company can use to greatly refine um, the people that they're getting interested in their roles, and a small company can can use to get people that are actually great at what they do, regardless of whether they have a big brand in the market or not. Right. Okay. So how do you recommend companies differentiate themselves? How should they be looking to attract talent differently than what they're currently doing? So as it relates to the job description, and uh, some people are going to listen to this and think, that's crazy. I've never heard this before. Um, well, that's, that's a really bizarre idea. Um, but the idea is, and we call it a performance profile, you take out all the stuff that's in there about the you know the years of experience, the responsibilities, the duties, and so on, and you frame it in terms of 
the work that actually needs to be done, the, the performance goals that need to be achieved, the, the product, the projects that need to be executed. Uh, so it might look something along the lines of, for a product marketing manager, we need somebody to uh, orchestrate the launch of X product, and this will take the form of X, Y, and Z over this time frame. We need somebody to deliver this project, and we need somebody to um, solve this challenge. And then everything else sort of feeds into that, rather than we need somebody with five to seven years ex experience in product management, and we need somebody who's worked with X, Y, and Z product. Uh, and the reason to do it that way is, well, it's, it's actually twofold, but from a marketing perspective, uh, people often say to me when I first put this concept to them, they say, well, Harrison, we need to put five, seven years experience on there. We need to put these duties on there because how we know if the person is qualified. Uh, we need to make sure the right people are actually going to apply to our jobs. And my, my response to that is, well, you do, but you're doing it this way now. And are the right people applying to your jobs? Maybe a few, but the vast majority of them are not the right people. But the reason to do it this way is it solves two problems at once. On the one hand, if we actually look at what drives the people who are exceptional at what they do, the, the, the top talent, however, however you describe that term, what really drives them is the work itself. You know, it's the, it's the challenge, the opportunity, the, the development they're going to get, the rewards they're going to get from executing that work well, being recognized for it, and, uh, and how it's going to help them in the future. I mean, I'm, I'm sure you, you probably saw that same motivation in yourself, Chris, when you were, when you were an employee as well. Sure. Yeah. I mean, you'd rather, you'd rather think about a project and a goal rather than a list of skills that you're going to apply in some unknown way. And honestly, in my experience, looking at job descriptions for jobs I've applied for or not, I see this all the time. The list is so long and you're thinking, what really is the priority? Are they going to get all that stuff done or are they just, you know, looking for every possible thing they might ever need <laughs> exactly exactly um and that's the point really is that what you see a lot of companies doing these days as they as they notice there is this huge competition for, for talented people now and you see this particularly with the big tech giants um but also a lot of other firms is that they'll they'll talk about all the the great company culture and benefits they have you know they'll they'll put in there about how we have great team nights out every month, so we have a work hard, play hard culture, and we have a, a pool table and a dartboard and a break room, and you can get you can get beer on a Friday afternoon in the office. And I, I look at this stuff and I think, yeah, that's that's all great, but but is anybody really gonna? Who wants to spend forty, fifty, sixty hours of, of their life every week, maybe more, um, to do something they don't like just so they can have a beer in the office at four o'clock on a Friday? I mean, you know, this isn't the stuff that really drives people. Um, and if it is, you know, you, you've got a problem there. So why not take the opportunity to appeal to them through the actual work, that the stuff that they need to do, which means you're going to get people who really enjoy their work. Uh, you're going to get people who are driven by the work itself, as, as the best people tend to be. And you can simultaneously use that uh, as a qualification tool because you don't need to specify a number of years of experience or experience with a certain product or whatever to to qualify a person and make sure they're uh, capable of doing the job. That can better be achieved through performance objectives. And 
But at the same token, you can use those performance objectives to market the job. So it's really a win-win for everybody when it's put in that way. Right. So why do you think companies currently write job descriptions the way they do? And what kind of candidates do they end up with as a result? You know, there's a few reasons, I think, why why people do it the way it is. And one of them, maybe the biggest, is that, you know, by and large, why does anybody do what, do what they do? You get a small percentage of people in any field that, that look at things from their own perspective and figure out a new way of doing things. But by and large, most of us do what we do because our predecessors did it that way. Unless something comes along to disrupt the status quo and then everybody follows the new person. But it's, it's like, why do so many business people uh, sit in their office and make 100 cold calls a day to sell their products? Is it because it's the best way of doing it? No. But it's the only way they know. It's the way they were taught to do it. And I think it's largely true with job descriptions. So if we look 30, 40, 50 years ago, um, this sort of approach worked because there was a lot less noise in hiring. People didn't change jobs very often. The culture was different. And, you know, it was expected that, you were grateful to have a job and that you, the, the onus was on the employee uh, to make himself worthy of the company, whereas it's as much the other way around now. So companies have to compete a lot more and they have to do a lot more to be appealing. Uh, but there was also a lot less job search activity out there. And a lot of jobs were a lot less complicated than they are now, which means that using skills and years of experience to qualify them could actually work a, a lot better than it does today. So there's that tradition there, and that that tradition has just simply kept up to a place where it doesn't belong anymore. Uh, so that's one reason. But you also, again, going back to the, the larger corporates, uh, a lot of companies use these applicant tracking systems, Talio and the like. I'm, I'm sure you're familiar with them. Yeah. Yeah. And, well, they need to feed their keywords into there so they go in the job descriptions and then they get these applications through and they come through the other side of, of Talio uh, with the number of times the keywords appeared and so on it's, it's just a big keyword filtering exercise um, but it, the problem you've got is what they're doing is they're, they're casting a wide net but they're not necessarily casting the right net and the way I, I'd liken it to you know imagine if BioRad decided to advertise in the middle of the Super Bowl I mean Sure, they cast a wide net, but would that actually give them any benefits? Would, would that be people that are actually going to buy things from Biorad? Um, and the same here. So what, what you really want to do is rather than encouraging everyone in the world to apply, what you want to do is to focus it towards the people that you really want to apply. Uh, and the other side of this is that by and large, when you write these cookie-cutter job descriptions that look the you know they all look the same as each other if people do apply to those they're largely going to be people that need a job or maybe sometimes they're even desperate for a job but if we look at the best people yeah occasionally they'll look for a job sometimes but most of the time they don't need to they're happy where they are or if they do move on it's because somebody came to them with a job now how are you going to capture those people uh, and that's through differentiation um, and what better way to differentiate them to appealing to what really matters to them, i.e. the challenge, the opportunity, uh, the progression, and so on. Um, and I know I've, I've diverged quite a bit from, from your original question, Chris, but uh, I think largely it's just because of tradition and also because, uh, well, mostly people don't really think about it. It's just how things are done, and they don't actually realize there's a better way. Right. Well, I think you did a good job of describing how, 
you know, the world has changed and how people look for jobs and the competitive market and, and so on are, are different. And, you know, of course, even the types of jobs people do, I mean, you know, I'm doing a job that didn't exist when I was in college. So, um, and so that, that there's a large part of it right there. And I think it's, it's very smart for people to think about. And then the other thing that I think you, that I really like that you said is how do you attract the people that aren't really looking for jobs? Because the people who might be really good at what they're doing, you know, could probably only be pulled away by, um, luring them with a more attractive project, something in, because they're good at what they do. They're happy. They're probably successful in their job and they're not out looking, you know, for employment, but they're always, you know, if you're a top performer looking for a more interesting challenge and, and so writing your job description in a way that would attract some of those seems very smart to me. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And you bring up something that's, that's quite important there as well, actually, which is that this pulls through to the remainder of the process. So, you know, when I, in my earlier years in recruiting, quite often I didn't even bother writing job adverts because the way we went to recruit people was always through you know, getting on the phone to them, uh, which, you know, more commonly in this day and age, we use email marketing methods. But the principle's the same. We were looking for people who weren't looking for jobs. So quite often I used to not bother writing an advert. But actually, there's a great reason to do so, because even if the, the people you hire didn't apply to the advert, which is often the case, um, even for big companies on their hiring sprees, they fill a lot of their jobs through networks and so on. It serves as a reference point. And quite often, I find when people are hiring, they go out to look for somebody, but they, they've never actually really sat and thought about you know, what the work is and what they have to offer and uh, the real details of that uh, and how they can be applied to a a person and their wants and needs. So for the person writing it, it helps to clarify that a great deal initially. But it also enables you to articulate that that stretch, that better project to the individual. So we always uh, advise our clients that when they're putting an offer to a person, they should offer them something that is measurably a 30% improvement on what they're doing right now. And when I, when I first um, talk about the concept to people, they often think, ah, oh, I can't afford to give them a 30% pay rise. That's insane. <laughs> but uh, that, you know, I'm not talking about in terms of money. I'm talking about the, the responsibilities. You know, If they're a salesperson, it might be the size of their territory or the size of the team they're managing. It might be uh, the actual tasks they're taking on. Um, it might be in the future potential or uh, some form of promotion. But if you can measurably put to somebody a 30% better pro- uh, prospect than what they already have, it, it's very hard for them to say no to that and they can see it in crystal clear terms. And what this allows you to do, because you, you're defining everything in such quantifiable terms in the first place, and hopefully you're understanding in quantifiable terms what the person's doing now, you can then use this as a reference point and then show them how they are getting a bigger project and a better deal. And actually, going back to, to small companies again, you know, it's quite often the case that they aren't because they don't hire very often. They're not very accustomed to you know, marketing or selling their, their vacancies to people. And I think, oh, well, you, you put yourself in a candidate's shoes. They might see an advert, for example, think, well, oh, it's a... Uh, so content manager position I'm already a content manager what do I need that for 
Um, and nobody really wants to make a sideways move, even though, um, and nobody wants to make a sideways move, even unless they're particularly unhappy where they are right now. But by the same token, companies always want to hire people who are competent of the job right now. So how do you get that differentiation? Well, if you can quantify these things, a few small things here and there, bigger territory, if it's a salesperson, bigger remit, bigger team, um, more upward mobility, it doesn't take many small changes to provide something to somebody that actually is a pretty compelling progression for them, even if it didn't look like it on face value. So there's, there's absolutely an application there as well. I like it. So you talked about um, writing a job description or not a job description, a performance profile specifically and say, you know, we're going to, we're setting up to launch two new products in the next year and um, we need someone to manage the um, inbound and outbound marketing for this and here are all the other things that we want this person to achieve. And mo obviously most of those are short to medium term goals. And then of course your job might evolve from there, but it does give you a flavor of what um, you're looking for. Do companies fear giving away elements of their plans and their goals with this method? And how do they, how do they get around that? Yeah, it's a, it's a good question, Chris, actually. Uh, occasionally there can be some, some reticence I found, but at the end of the day, uh, what matters is the is the principle. Now, if you're interviewing somebody and you're considering whether to hire them, yeah, if you're, if you're going to use this process properly, you need to figure out whether they're capable of you know, whatever the performance objectives are in their specific form. But if you're using this for marketing purposes, there's absolutely no reason why you couldn't just make it slightly vaguer so that it doesn't give away anything confidential, but it still retains the essence of what you're trying to convey. Right. Okay. Um and then what kind of results have you seen with this approach? Can you give us some examples? Yeah. Uh, I have to say pretty pretty incredible <laughs> uh, results, actually. So since we've adopted this process, uh, we've seen typically uh, for any given job a 60% increase in applications. Uh, but more so than that, uh, and bear in mind, this you know naturally this is going to be quite a subjective judgment. But in terms of the number of top twenty percent talent, as we would define it, recruited, that's been anywhere between one hundred to four hundred percent increase uh, in the number of those candidates recruited per vacancy, depending on the role. Nice. So then, obviously, the benefit to the the employer is, you know, having a wider choice of finding exactly the right person they need and obviously more likely to find an even better person than what they would have found before, especially when you're getting four times as many people who are in that top 20%. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, this is less statistical and more anecdotal, but, you know, what I see quite a lot of as well that, that I never used to see doing things the old way is... So I can just, you know, maybe there's a, a little bit of interest in hearing more from somebody. I can just send them an excerpt of the performance profile and they'll come back to me and say, wow, well, I, you know, I wasn't looking, but this sounds absolutely amazing. I, you know, I need to, I need to look at this. And the only way to get that, uh, you know, the only way we used to get that kind of interest 
from somebody who wasn't necessarily looking was you know if we had a lengthy conversation I'd explain these kind of things to them or they or they'd met with the company and the company had done a really good job of conveying this information but in this format it's it's right there on the page you know and I think the biggest and best application of it is for firms that don't necessarily have a a large brand in the market or they can't afford to pay uh, particularly high salaries but they can massively differentiate uh, by hiring this way uh, without spending any extra money you know this is something you can implement in a day Um, so I I think it's a huge overlooked opportunity for, uh, for a lot of firms. I like it. I love uh, the phrase there that you can implement in a day. I mean, I, um, for other reasons that uh, resonates with me. Um, and, and I just like the whole idea. I mean, there are so many things that we make way more complicated than they need to be. And honestly, a day of thought around many problems uh, with a focused thought can actually get rid of a lot of those things. And then and then you're on your way. I mean, it's it's free, like you say. To write, it costs just as much to write a good job description as it does to write a crappy one. <laughs> well, that, that, that's exactly it, and it's um, you know, it's going. You mentioned about uh, about first principles earlier, Chris, and that's that's absolutely what it is. And from the perspective of of hiring, this is really just a case of getting the right foundation in place before you do anything else, and. I've I've seen in you know in pretty much any field you care to mention, you tend to get to, to cite Trudeau's principle. You tend to get eighty percent of your results from the twenty percent of the work you do up front, the groundwork. Uh, and when you get this groundwork right, everything else is is so much easier, both from the attracting people side, um, from the getting your offers accepted side, and you know down the line you can even use this as a management tool. This this can serve as a template for your performance reviews uh, and everything else. So it's, I, it's it's actually quite difficult for me to explain what I mean. But if you look at things like where we're talking about how job descriptions often have five to seven years of experience on them, uh, I mean that's not starting from first principles because that generally speaking somebody down the line has made an assumption that. Well, I guess if we have people that have at least five or seven years' experience, they can probably do the job. But that wasn't, that's not the starting point. They, they didn't look from the ground up and say, how can we identify who can do this job? Because there's every possibility that somebody with three or four years' experience could do just as good a job. Um, so this is all about looking from the ground up. What is the right principle to base this uh, selection off of? And then building upon it. Yes, uh, I, I love that. I mean, just that whole five to seven year thing. When I honestly, I look at those job descriptions, and I'm thinking, if I've been doing that for five to seven years, why would I, you know, why would I want to move? I mean, why do I want that job again? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Either I'm 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 content and I'm I'm going to stay in the job I have forever, or I'm looking for something new. But if I have to have five to seven to move over to that job and do it for another five to seven, I mean, that's I'm not the person you're looking for. Exactly. Actually, you know, I, I digress, but there's a there's a meme that goes around in in the IT in the IT world because uh, you know quite often you get IT recruiters who put out jobs uh, needing five to seven years experience in a technology that's only existed for two to three, which I found quite funny. <laughs> yeah. 
All right. So Harrison, this has been a really interesting conversation. I think it's going to be really helpful to, um, you know, all my audience of, of marketers or even salespeople to rethink how they're trying to, to build their teams and what, and I love the first principles thing about what do we really need on our team to take whatever initiatives we're working on and, and make them go faster and better and so on. Um, where can people find out more about you and what you're doing? Uh, yeah, there's a, there's a couple of routes, really. You can find me on uh, LinkedIn, uh, so Harrison Wright, or you can look at our website, which is www.affinitybiotechnology.com. Uh, you're welcome to email me as well at hwright at affinitybiotechnology.com. But yeah, I'd be uh, more than happy to uh, help out. Okay. Well, as always, I will put all those links in the show notes. So if you want to get in touch with Harrison, um, you'll know where to find him. And thank you once again, Harrison, for a fantastic conversation. Chris, you're more than welcome. Thanks again for having me. It's been a pleasure. My pleasure too. Bye-bye. Bye. Well, there you have it, folks. If you want to attract the top talent to your marketing teams or your sales teams, you might want to think about creating job descriptions that tell a story about what that person is going to do, what they will achieve, the challenges they'll face, and the opportunities that are going to result from that job. Hey, I want to thank you again, as always, for listening. You know, sometimes uh, I run into people or people contact me on LinkedIn and they say, I didn't know there was a podcast about life science marketing. I can't believe this thing exists. Well, you know it's here and I know it's here, but you probably have a couple of colleagues who don't. And um, what I want to ask you today is tell a couple of them about it if they are podcast listeners at all. If they're not, turn them on to podcasting. Uh, my talk at Harrison's Summit is going to be about the value of audio content, but I really appreciate it if you would spread the word and I will talk to you again in a couple of weeks. See you later.